0: Speaking of rock, any fans of the rock band The Who out there? Anybody like The Who? These guys right there? They're still rocking, right? They're past retirement age. They're still rocking. Uh, Show of hands again. How many fans of The Who? Okay. Wow! This has been the same every service. Just for the record, I took a poll of how many Star Wars fans we have in the church last week. There's more fans of the rock band The Who than there are Star Wars fans. What a weird church uh, that you are uh, a part of. But they have this song that is kind of their namesake, this iconic uh, song that they played at the Super Bowl back in 2010, uh, and it's a song, Who Are You, right? Everybody, you know, like, who are you? Sing it with me. doo doo, who, who, right? Do, doo, who, doo, who, the whole thing, right? Who are you, okay? Now that I have that song stuck in your head for the rest of the day, okay, <laughs> Who Are You, I don't just bring that up because we, wow, well, we have a great worship team and a rock band and all of this kind of stuff. I bring it up because the lyrics to that song, could not be more important and might be the most important question that you'll ever get asked in your life, and that's not a stretch. Who are you? Who are you? Like below the surface, and I, don't, I just don't want the, the cheese ball Sunday school answering, Jesus, well, no, you're not, Jesus. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. Yes, you are. I want you to think about the first thing that comes to your heart. The first thing that comes to your mind, if somebody were to walk up to you and actually say, who are you? Like, who are you really? What would your answer be? Sometimes it's, it's helpful to think about this kind of from a, um, from a visual uh, perspective a little bit. And it seems like whenever we talk about identity, when we talk about who we are, there's always sort of the surface level things and then there's the deeper stuff. And so you kind of imagine you go up to any body of water or sea, there's things that are above the water line. And there's things that are below the waterline. Like when you look at an iceberg, it's 10% is what you can see, but then everything else is below. Today, I'm really interested in talking about who you are below the waterline. But so often when we're asked that question, and it's a question of identity... We get asked. We think of things that everybody else can see. So the things that are above the waterline when you answer that question are going to be the things that we project to the world. In the, in the world, and the culture that we live in, when you're introducing yourself to each other, we say, oh, you know, I'd like to meet you, you know, what's your name and what do you do, right? We equate our identity with our name and then automatically, isn't it interesting, we go to work, okay? But that's a above the waterline type of things. There's more to you than your job, right? But that's one of the things that we get defined by. For some of us, uh, in in a healthy way, it's our roles that define us, our our roles, our relationships uh, with other people. You know, the first thing that might come to your mind is, I'm a dad, I'm a mom, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a brother, I'm a sister, I'm an aunt, I'm an uncle, I'm a grandparents, I'm a friend, or whatever it is. It's our roles and our relationship to other people. For some of us, what we project to the world when we look at other people, you know, who are you, what the image I project, is maybe my appearance. The way that I look, that's a long word to write. My appearance, maybe it's our stuff, the things that we have. I, I, I identify myself by how wealthy I am or by how poor I am or what type of car I have or where I live. I'm a South Sider, I'm an East Sider, right? We, we have those identifications that we have that maybe kind of get elevated into our true identity. This time of year with all the political stuff going on, it's very easy to let our primary identity be found in a cause or a candidate or even a political party. Well, I identify with this issue, and so I'm going to fight for that, and I'm going to latch myself on to this candidate or this political party. The thing is, they'll let you down. They always will because they're imperfect. There's no perfect candidate. There's no perfect political party. And by the way, Jesus doesn't fit in to a political party perfectly. Jesus is Jesus. But we find our identity in a lot of different ways, and for some of us, if we were honest, truly honest today what defines our identity even though we don't know it is our past it's the things that we've done it's the things that have been done to us it's the abuse that happened to you years ago and the, the weight and the guilt and the shame of that that you've been carrying for a long time it's it's things it's wounds that you've inflicted on other people it's mistakes that you've made it's a sin and guilt from your past And it's interesting, these labels can get put on us, almost like a a sticky note name tag. These labels can get put on us as we go throughout our lives, and we end up carrying those labels for a very, very long time, and you just don't know it. I mean, if you were honest today, what labels have been placed on you? Boy, you're a mistake. Ugly, not fill in the blank enough, (laughs) weak, disappointment. Or on a much more positive note, I'm, you're, you're valuable, you're desirable, you are wanted, you are sought after, you are loved. I mean, I remember, wonder if we took some actual like generic, hello, my name is, church name tags, and all of us this morning, actually, instead of writing your name, you wrote down why you act the way you do. <laughs> the defining identity in your life, what, what would it actually be if we were honest? Mine wouldn't say John, it would say pleaser. I don't know if anybody's like me, but in full disclosure, we're in church, so we should probably be honest, right? I'm one of those people that sometimes I struggle with being okay unless somebody else tells me I'm okay. That sometimes my self-esteem is like a roller coaster and it rises and falls, and whether I had a good day or a bad day or a good week or a bad week, or if somebody says something to me, get some verbal encouragement, wow, we're back up, and it's all over the place because I'm a pleaser. Maybe yours would say that as well. Maybe for some of you, it'd be athlete or, or I, I work out or, or whatever hobby you do. Or maybe yours would say, hello, my name is perfectionist. <laughs> some of you can't be okay unless everything in your life is under control. And when it's out of control, then you don't know who you are. I got to control everything and I got to control other people in my life so that I feel good about myself. This the striver constantly climbing the ladder work because I don't know who I am apart from my job. For some of you, it's the victim something that happened to you, and you've been living out of a victim mentality your entire life, even though Jesus has already forgiven you and the other person, and yet you're living as a victim. For some of you, it's, hello, my name is skeptic. Because in our world today, when it comes to faith, it's cool to not commit to anything. I'm just going to be a skeptic. I'm just going to kind of hang on the outskirts, and maybe I'll pop into church once in a while, but it's kind of cool to be a skeptic, because I don't want to commit to anything. Or maybe in a positive sense, it'd be, hello, my name is Overcomer, Survivor. We have several members of our church that have overcome, that have defeated cancer. For you, maybe leader, or whatever your job title is. For better or worse, our identity is what shapes us and how we live and the choices that we make. You, somebody tells me what they believe about themselves, I'll tell you the trajectory of their life. It's the fuel, the motivation, the reason for everything we do is our identity. And yet the problem is all of these identities are above the waterline. They're all surface level things and they go up and down based on the circumstances of your life. None of these identities are going to stick. None of them are permanent and they end up letting us down. Even the best human relationships, the people in your life are going to let you down. Have you experienced that? That sometimes it's the people that we love the most, that we hurt the most, right? Because we're imperfect. Those roles, those relationships can't be the final thing about us. And when you're asked that question, who are you? The problem with all of these IDs is that they go up and down. You want to talk about fake IDs. Anybody remember that season of your life? Anybody have anything they want to confess this morning? Okay, all right. You want to know what the real fake IDs are? All the masks that we put on. All the people we try to be. All the ways we try to please, all the ways we try to be good enough, all the ways we try to strive, those are the real fake IDs. I can't tell you th- very different examples, three different people pop into my mind in three different very seasons of life. I can't tell you how many people that are, are nearing retirement or have just retired in our church community here, and I talk to them and I connect with them. They've been out of work. They've retired for three or four months, and they don't know who they are. They're in deep, deep depression. Why? Why? because their identity was wrapped up in their job. And now that they're not working, they don't know who they are. Their entire self-worth was based on how much they could produce in life. And if that's for you, man, you're going to be in for rude awakening. It's got to be deeper than that. Talk to a a mom that uh, finally uh, not. I don't say this in a bad way, but she's like, I'm finally an empty nester. And it's kind of weird, you know, talking to couples in our church that, you know, for the longest time, for 20 years, your identity has been our kids and it seems so good, and it seems so healthy, but gosh, you guys, we can make idols out of our kids. And they were never meant to to bear that weight, but some of us, our identity is found in our kids. And then finally, I talk to some of these couples, and the last kid is out of the house, and they're empty nesters, and these husbands and wives look at each other, and they go, I don't know who you are. Because for 20 years, my identity has been Uber driver, right? You know what I mean? And now, basically, we're just, well, we were co-parents, no, you're, you're married. You're husbands and wife. So what is your identity now that the kids are gone? It's the same thing. I talked to a 25, 26-year-old young man in one of our men's groups a couple years ago, and the guys were going around and sharing pretty openly about their relationship with their dads, and this 25-year-old tough guy, big, strong guy, just starts to weep openly because he realized he had never heard the words from his father, I love you or I'm proud of you. All three of those people that I just mentioned, what they have in common? Christians, churchgoers, followers of Jesus. What do they all have in common? An identity crisis because they've never gone below the surface. They have based their identity on things that are above the waterline. But I've got really, really good news. You don't have to stay there. What if there was a deeper truth? What if there is a deeper identity below the surface, unchanging, that could be locked in the problem with all of these fake ids is that they're either things that have been labeled upon us or we put on ourselves or you have to earn them that's not real identity what if your real identity was instead something that was bestowed to you something that is a gift not something you have to earn but something that is given to you as a gift that might be the most important thing you do at the beginning of a new year what if the most important thing you could do at the beginning of 2020, other than, you know, your laundry list of New Year's resolutions, or all the things that you, need to, you think you need to do to be a better Christian this year, all the goals that you have. What if the most important thing that you could do is to walk out those doors today back home, knowing that you know that you know that when you're asked that question, who are you, you have a definitive Answer, below the waterline that can satisfy your soul. That is where we're going today, and that's what we're going to discover. All right? If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 3. That's where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, if you've got them in the back, you can bring them home with you. Everybody should bring a Bible to worship every week, and if you don't want to bring one, you have your phone. Download YouVersion, the UVersion app. Go to the App Store and get it, and then wherever you have your phone, you have your Bible. So you should never be with it. It's like American Express. Don't leave home without it, just like your Bible, all right? Matthew chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Last week, we kicked off our sermon series for the entire year. It's called All Eyes on Jesus. Let's say that together. All Eyes on Jesus. The reason we're doing that is we're spending the entire year, get this, in four books of the Bible. It's going to be awesome. The four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to put All Eyes on Jesus. We're going to focus and take an in-depth look on the person and the work of Jesus. So we're starting in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's the first Gospel. If you've got it, say, I've got it. it. All right, Matthew chapter 3. To give you a little bit of context, and yes, we were in Matthew 3 last week too, the back half of that story, John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. And so people are repenting of their sins, they're turning around. And then the second part is, we're going to focus on today, is they're getting baptized. And so Jesus shows up uh, on the scene and asked John to baptize him because that's what John does because that's his last name, John the Baptist. (laughs) Some of you will get that on the way home. Okay, so (laughs) Jesus shows up and he asks John to baptize him. John doesn't want to do it, but Jesus convinces him. We read in verse 16. Okay, check this out. It's like out of a movie. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. How cool is that? And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. By the way, this is just a fun aside, a little biblical fun fact for all you Bible scholars out there. There's very few moments in Scripture where all three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, show up together and act in complete unity and love with each other. This is one of those moments don't overlook it. The Father is going to speak words of affirmation and love over the Son, Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit is going to come as the Father sends the Holy Spirit as a mantle and a spirit of authority on the Son. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in the same place, all at the same time. How cool is that, okay? Also, how cool are babies crying in church because we love kids here at Hope? Can I get an amen? All right, cool. We love kids. So this is very cool. Now, Check it out, what happens next, okay? So, let's read verse 17 together. It's up on the screen. Let's read it nice and loud. This is what we read. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Okay? This is like the scene from a movie, okay? Something significant is going on. The father says two things about his son, Jesus, okay? He says, This is my son, whom I love. And with him I am well pleased, okay? In other words, Jesus gets two things from God. He gets his affection. Everybody say affection, which is I love you. And then he gets admiration. Everybody say admiration. admiration. And that means I love you. I'm proud of you, okay? God isn't just like, I love everybody, generically. He loves you. Not only does he love you, he likes you. Do you know that? God's not angry with you. He delights in you. You are his favorite. Some of you are like, no, 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 no. I'm just going to stay there for a moment because I don't think you're getting it. He likes you. When you woke up this morning, no matter what you looked like, he loves what he sees in the mirror. Even if you don't, even if you hate yourself, the person looking back at you, he likes you, he loves you, he delights in you. And that's what he gives to Jesus. Now, I want you to know something about this story. When does this happen in the course of Jesus' ministry? Is it at the end that he gets this blessing from God? Is it in the middle? No, it's at the beginning. Jesus hasn't done anything yet. Basically, up until this point, Jesus has been an obscure carpenter for 30 years in this small town called Nazareth. Nobody really knows him, and now he's this up-and-coming rabbi, but nobody knows he's the son of God. But Jesus hasn't produced anything anything. He hasn't accomplished anything of worldly significance yet, and God is giving him this blessing at this moment for a reason, to show Jesus and all of us, my love for you is not contingent on what you can produce. I love you for who you are this morning, not for what you can do. And that's because the Father is showing us something that's true about our identity as well. Real gospel identity is not earned. It's not a label that's placed on you. It is a gift. Identity is bestowed, not earned. It is bestowed upon you. Jesus built the entire foundation of his ministry and his life on this moment. More than anything else, Jesus needed a word from God. And maybe that's the most important thing that we need as well. You need to walk out of here this morning. You don't need anything from me. More than anything, you need a word from God. You need a word from the Father. And he speaks that same blessing over you. I love you. And I am so proud of you this morning. You are my son. You are my daughter. And that should be the defining characteristic of our life. Lives. If it was for Jesus, maybe it's for us as well. The Apostle Paul picks up on this theme later in the New Testament. He writes in the book of Romans chapter 8. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Romans chapter 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So have you not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves? said you receive God's Spirit when he, get this, he adopted you. Turn your neighbor right now and say, Neighbor, you've been adopted. Tell him that right now. You've been adopted. Tell him that right now. Some of you maybe have in in, uh, your earthly life as well. He adopted you as his children. Now we call him Abba Father. And then check this out. Let's read it together, verses 16 and 17. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Okay? Paul introduces one of the major themes of the entire New Testament right here, that we are sons and daughters. In other words, we are God's what? His children, right? His sons and daughters. This is the deeper truth that we have longed for. We are sons and we are daughters. That is the defining identity characteristic that has been given to you as a gift. We've been, not only are we God's kids, but we've been adopted, which means that in Jesus' day, if you are a child, and that means that when your father dies, you get the whole estate, you get everything meaning all the love and the wild crazy love and affection and joy and delight and acceptance that god has for jesus in this moment at his baptism is yours you have it. I don't know about you, but this doesn't feel very Lutheran, but that should make us rejoice. That should make us say, amen, hallelujah, there's no better truth, there's no better good news in life. Can I get an amen for that? That's pretty exciting, okay? That can be the defining characteristic of your life. Why does that matter? All the fake IDs can go away. I don't mean go away, I just mean they don't have to define you. So what if you had a terrible week as a mom this week? That's not the deepest thing about you. you. You can say, I stunk it up as a dad this week. I've been a terrible friend. I let some coworkers down. I yelled at my kids. I'm still figuring out this whole marriage thing. Okay, Jesus knows that. It also means that you can get off the treadmill of trying to keep up all these appearances and all these masks and all these fake IDs of trying to be enough. You are enough. You are enough. You are enough. Now, some of you don't believe it. You are enough. Even on your worst days, you are enough. You don't have to keep performing. You don't have to try to achieve. You don't have to put up some mask. And instead of earning God's love, we can live and love and serve because we already have it. You already have it. The question is how do we get that? How do we live in that truth? Some of you are like, oh, warm fuzzies, that's cute. I'm God's son, I'm God's daughter. Nope. Actually, the strongest, toughest, most secure people I know know that they're weak. They know who they are. They know that they've been adopted. They know that they're God's son. They know they're God's daughter, and that's what gives them strength to live each day. The question is, how do you get that? How do you live in that? How do we experience that kind of relationship with God? Well, you do what Jesus did. You get baptized. You get baptized. You experience the new life of Jesus. One of the reasons we're talking about baptism today at all of our campuses, number one, in the liturgical calendar, in the the calendar of the church year that lays out scriptures for the whole year, this is what's called Baptism of Our Lord Sunday. I'm sure you woke up this morning and just couldn't wait to get here for Baptism of Our Lord Sunday. It's a reminder of when Jesus was baptized, the baptism of our Lord. And the reason we talk about this is because as Lutheran Church of Hope, not all of you are Lutheran. I know, it's scandalous, right? Not all of you are Lutheran. And we want to, we understand that a lot of different denominations and people come from different backgrounds to Lutheran Church of Hope, and we're glad that you feel safe here. In fact, we had a new member class last week. Get this, 37 new members joined Hope Des Moines last week. Can we give God praise for that? That's awesome. Okay. And I did a little show of hands. I said, how many of you either would you consider yourself Lutheran uh, or grew up Lutheran or are now going to fake being Lutheran? Anybody? I didn't say that. (laughs) Like four or five. Like literally a handful. And I love that. By the way, there's no denominations in heaven, so we should probably get used to it now, right? There's one banner. There's one person that's famous here, and it's not John, and it's not Martin Luther. It's Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we're about. But we are a Lutheran Church of Hope, and so we do have some theological beliefs that we teach and preach from a Lutheran slant. And so as Lutherans, okay, why do we baptize? Okay, that's the first question. Why do we baptize? Okay, so there are two specific acts that Jesus did during his time here on earth that he specifically asked us to do in his name. Okay, they are baptism, and anybody know the other one? Communion, you got it. That's right, baptism and communion. Now, other denominations, Catholics have a lot more, but we're Lutherans. We like coffee and two sacraments. Just keep it simple, okay? So what are sacraments? Everybody say sacrament. Sacrament Sacrament are a means of grace. They're a way that Jesus extends his love and his grace to us through worldly things, through worldly symbols. There's nothing magical about the water. There's nothing magical about the bread and the wine when we celebrate communion, right? Nor me or any other pastor, okay? Okay. The power is in God, in Jesus comes to us in baptism. Jesus comes to us in communion. Just as God sent the Son, Jesus comes to us. It's a gift. Maybe you've tuned me out, but when I do the introduction to uh, communion, when we do that, I say, come on up and you receive the bread, the wafer in your hand, right? You don't take a gift, right? I haven't seen anybody come up and say, give me that wafer, right? And take it like that, right? you don't take a gift. You receive a gift. The same is true with baptism, right? Nobody walks up to get baptized and said, well, I'm here. Look at me. I earned it. I deserve it, right? No, baptism is a gift because God comes to us through his grace. Baptism has never been and will never be about you, And your goodness—it's always been about God. It's not about you. Turn to your neighbor with all the Christian love in your voice and say, "Neighbor, it's not about you." Tell them that right now. It's not about you. It's not about you. Some of you need that reminder. In fact, most things are not about you. Okay. In fact, uh, to prove it, sometimes we just need to be reminded that no matter how much we we get hung up on how do we baptize and when should we baptize and what type of water should we use and should we do, you know, scoop and pour or should we do the, the dunk or, you know, a can opener or a cannonball under the water. Like how, how should we baptize, right? We get confused on all the details and logistics. And just to remind ourselves that baptism is not about us, it's all about God and that sometimes our imperfection and our mistakes and our silliness can get in the way. Take a quick look at this next montage of videos that we'll affectionately call baptisms that did not go as planned. Take a look. Oh, it doesn't get any better than that, right? (laughs) It's good to laugh in church, right? It's so good. What a great... jeez. I have to tell you this just because it's the 11 o'clock service and I don't care about the time, neither should you. Um, There was... (laughs) At our Western Boy campus, I was helping baptize, and Pastor Richard had a little boy come up, and he was just giving Pastor Richard the runaround and, you know, talking to him about baptism and everything like that. And finally, Pastor Richard just looked, because there was a line of people, and Pastor Richard just looked at him. This eight-year-old boy went, do you think Jesus is cool? And this boy went, oh, yeah. And Richard just went, bam, and just dunked him and brought him back up. <laughs> it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and the gift that God wants to give us. So why do we baptize, okay? Now that we got the silliness out, why do we baptize, okay? If you've got your finger in Matthew chapter 3, flip over to Matthew chapter 28, to the end of that chapter, and Jesus gives what's called the Great Commission, okay? Life, death, resurrection of Jesus. This is before he ascends to heaven. He's giving his final words to his disciples, okay? Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, therefore... Go and make disciples, excuse me, let's start before. Jesus came to his disciples and said, I've been given all authority. So Jesus is giving us authority to us in heaven and earth. Now let's read it together, starting with therefore. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So why do we baptize? Because the boss said to do so, okay? Jesus commanded us to do it. It's a gift that he's given to us, okay? Which leads to the next question. Reasons you should not be baptized, Okay? kind of wrong motivations, okay? Number one, please don't get baptized simply because it's a family or religious tradition, okay? Well, you know, at a certain point, everybody in my family has been baptized, so I guess I should, okay? We don't want to should our way through life, okay? It's a get-to, not a got-to, okay? It's not a family or religious tradition, okay? And it's also not something that like, well, as parents, you know, we show up at church once in a while. We don't really care that much about, you know, being a Christian and following Jesus, but boy, I want to get my kid baptized. Just so, you know, my parents will get off my back then, right? Here's the problem with that. You are the primary spiritual leader in your home, and your kids and your grandkids, they're looking at you, and they're saying, I got baptized in the name of Jesus, but we don't really talk about Jesus any other time. Parents and grandparents, you are the primary spiritual influencers in your kids' and grandkids' lives. Don't do it out of tradition, okay? Number two, we don't want you to get baptized out of fear. We call this the fire insurance motivation, okay? Okay? right? Oh my word, you know, the get out of jail free card from hell, right? I got to get my kid baptized, okay? I got to get down to the hospital the second that a baby is born and baptize him because we don't want him to go to hell, right? I mean, if that was the case for all of you as adults, I would have just brought my super soaker today, right? Just hose everybody, just to make sure, okay? But here's the thing, I've never seen anybody come to faith based on fear. I've always seen people come to faith when they're loved into it and it's God's kindness, and it's love. We don't, we don't become Christians based out of fear. And finally, number three, pressure from family and friends. Well, I, I need to be seen as good enough. Have you been baptized? Oh, you haven't? What's wrong with you? Okay? We don't want there to be any pressure in that, or I, I got to be seen as good enough. Okay? Sometimes I've heard, uh, just a couple times I've heard people come up and say, well, I'm ready to get baptized now. I think I'm good enough. Okay? That phrase makes no sense whatsoever. You're never good enough to come up and take Holy Communion. You're never good enough to be baptized. You're good enough, not because of you, but because of him. Okay? Because of what Jesus has done on the cross. You don't have to be good enough. That's why they call it grace. You can't earn it. You just jump into it. Okay? Reminds me of a couple years ago, some friends gifted us with a place to stay uh, in South Carolina, near the beach, pretty pretty close to the beach. Our kids had never been to the beach. And so it was just kind of uh, something that we planned for for a couple months, and we really played it up for the kids. Because, like, they have no concept. They were three and five at the time. They had no concept of the ocean. We're like, it's like... Grays Lake, except a lot bigger. It's like a huge bathtub. I don't know. Like we're trying to describe how exciting going to the ocean was gonna be. And so we planned for months and we, we flew. They'd never been on an airplane before. We got to the friend's house and we got uh all ready. We got our you know our, our towels and our, our suits and our toys, and it was a beautiful day, and the sun's out, we're looking for the beach, and we're driving around and we can't find the beach, and so we're looking through the houses and things like that, all of a sudden. Caleb, our five-year-old at the time, goes, Daddy, there it is, the ocean. And it's like the kids, like we hadn't even stopped the car. They were like barrel rolling out of the car. They were so excited to get to the beach. And they started to take off towards the beach. Now imagine, hypothetically, we didn't do this, but imagine in that moment, Tiffany and I said, okay, kids, uh, stop. Uh, We actually need to head back to the condo uh, because you stink. You smell. And uh, you're a little dirty. Uh, We've been in an airplane all day. You need to get cleaned up. Okay, so let's go back to the bathtub and the sink and let's get all that dirt and grime off and then you can go run in the ocean, right? Wah, wah, right? Like huge buzzkill, dream stealer parents, right? No, you don't get cleaned up in the sink when you're getting ready to jump in the ocean. And the reason I tell you that is that some of us live our lives that way. Oh, Jesus, I'm so, I haven't been to church in a while. I've, I've been terrible about my prayer life. I haven't read my Bible in a while. I haven't been very nice to my spouse and my kids. I feel like a bad Christian. I've made some mistakes, and we feel like we need to crawl and grovel back to the foot of the cross and earn grace. You don't need to get cleaned up in the sink of your own religious nature before you jump in the ocean of God's grace. Never forget that. God's grace is wider than your sin Jesus' love for you is bigger than your past and your mistakes. Jump on in today. The water's just fine. You run and you jump. And that's what we did. All four of us just took off and ran into the ocean. Woo! And you just jump in. You just come as you are. With all your fake IDs, you just come and you jump in. God knows your name and he knows your story. He knows the things about you today that you hate. He knows the things about you that you try to hide and try to cover up that nobody else knows. And he loves you just the same. Don't get yourself cleaned up in the sink. Jump in the ocean. That's what grace is. That's what baptism is. So what happens? Some of you are asking, okay, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna gonna jump in the water today, not physically. We won't, we won't make you do that today. But four things. What happens in baptism? Okay? What happens in baptism? Number one, we get to experience the new life of Jesus Christ, okay? Baptism is not just a symbol, okay? It's not just like, ooh, we have some water up here or something, right? We're going to pretend hocus pocus, okay? Baptism, Jesus is actually present in the water, okay? And his presence is here and something supernatural happens. To be a Christian literally means that you are in Christ, okay? Which means whatever happens to Jesus happens to you. You're united with Christ in his death and resurrection. So when Jesus dies, you die. And you die to your past and your guilt and your shame and your mistakes and all the burdens you carry with you today. It's dead. It's been nailed to the cross. It's over with. It doesn't define you anymore. And then what happened to Jesus? He rose again. And so you rise again to a new and everlasting life. You have a new identity. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your past and your mistakes. He sees Jesus. You've been washed as Scripture says, ooh, get this, whiter than snow. Do you think it's any coincidence, probably not just ironic, that on the weekend we're doing open baptisms at all of our campuses, we get our first big snowstorm of the year? Did you walk outside yesterday, like, when it first came, before anybody had driven on it or anything? It's perfect. And it covers up all the blemishes, all the dirt and the grime and the ugly brown grass. It's wiped clean. That's how Jesus sees you today. That's how God sees you today. You've been washed whiter than snow. So first of all, we experience Jesus. Second of all, we get his forgiveness. You've been washed whiter than snow. Like, you're forgiven. I'm just sensing that some of you need to camp out on that for a second. Some of you need to let go because it wasn't your fault. I don't know what it is, but he does. And some of you need to forgive yourself and you need to leave that at the cross this morning. You've been carrying that weight around for way too long. It wasn't your fault. And for some of you, if it was your fault, you're forgiven. You really are. And that can be washed away in the waters of baptism today. Number one new life of jesus number two you're forgiven number three you're filled with the holy spirit the presence of jesus literally comes and lives inside of you and number four we get a brand new identity a brand new identity it's back to where we started so back to matthew chapter 28 okay jesus says baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit the greek word here for baptism or baptize is baptizo everybody say baptizo it's that word, and it's in the Greek, and it's fun to say. Baptizo, and it literally means to immerse, okay? You, you become what you're surrounded with. You get immersed into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just a quick poll. How many of you got to choose what family you were born into? Anybody this morning? Okay, no. Nope. Uh, how many of you got to choose your name? Anybody come out of the womb? Ah, Robbie. I don't know. Where did that come from, Okay. We don't get to choose our identity, do we? We don't get to choose that. I was born, and my parents said, Jonathan Lee Ananson. I was introduced. I was immersed in Ananson. That is my new name. That is my new identity, whether I like it or not. I'm going to be an Ananson for the rest of my life, okay? This is who I am, okay? In the same way, when we baptize people, it's into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. You're not who you used to be. Who, all your regrets and your shame, you're, you are who you are now. It's about who God is. If you've taken our core class, this chart should look very similar, okay? It should look very familiar to you. We start on this end, and we work that way. We start with who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What he's done, that determines who we are. That determines what we do. We get into trouble as Christians when we start on the other side and work back. Oh, here's all the things i got to do for you, God, and then you'll be happy with me and love me. No, 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 it's the other way. It's never been about you. Our activity as Christians flows from our identity. Some of you think that you need to be busy for God in order for God to love you. Nothing could be farther from the truth. I'd rather have a church full of thousands of people at Hope that know who they are in Christ than a church full of thousands of people that are running around all busy, busy because they think they need to earn it and be good enough. You serve and you volunteer and you sign up for things in this church as a get-to, not to earn something, not to be a good enough Christian. It's an overflow of your identity. God, our Father, has adopted us. Go back to the chart one more time. God, our Father, has adopted us, and so that makes us family. And then what do we do? We connect. We gather. Every- of course I'm going to come to worship every single week. This is my family. These are my brothers and sisters, right? Jesus, the Son, has chosen us. We're his disciples. We're his full-time students. Therefore, we grow. Of course I'm going to take Alpha Of course, I'm going to sign up for a group. Of course, I'm going to say, God, what's my next thing to grow? Because I'm a disciple of you. And finally, in the name of the Holy Spirit, there's no such thing as an unsent Christian. You have been sent. Of course, I'm going to volunteer. How can you be a part of a church and not serve? This is what we do. I don't serve. I am a servant. I don't go on mission. I am a missionary. This is who I am. This is a part of my identity. I've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, when you receive the gift... Everything changes. Everything changes. Some of us have this ver- version of Christianity where I'm just going to keep on going the direction I am and living life, and I'm not going to tack on Jesus to the side. Okay? No. Everything changes. Jesus says a fundamental shift happens in our identity. You can't go back to the way you were once you start following Jesus, when you come to faith, when you've been baptized. Think about it this way. When, when the doctor... Placed our firstborn Caleb in my arms when he placed that little eight pound, six ounce bundle of joy in my arms. And parents, you remember? You remember that moment? You had no idea then, but we're gonna, the, it takes the rest of our lives to realize the implications of that moment. Everything changes, right? I am a dad now. This is who I am. I can't, I can't look at Tiffany and say, this is great. Um, can I be a dad on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays or when I feel like it? right? No. A fundamental shift has happened in my identity. A buddy and I were meeting. that both have uh, two kids under the age of five or six, and we were talking the other week, and the words came out of my mouth. I got to sleep in yesterday to 7.15. It was awesome, okay? (laughs) We were hanging out the other night watching Netflix, Tiffany and I, and I'm like, man, it's got to be so late. I got to get to bed, right? And she's, I said, what time is it? And she's like, nine, like I am ready, okay? These kids are getting up early. What did we do yesterday? Did we watch did we watch the Vikings and the 49ers? No. We went to Frozen 2. That's right. That's who we are, right? Cuz that's my new identity. I'm a dad. I can't go back. And some of us live our Christian lives like that. Everything changes. Everything changes. We have a new identity. And finally, the last question, who's baptism for? Is it is it just for kids? Is it just for babies? Is it just for old people? It's for everybody. Several years ago when we had open baptisms, I baptized a six-year-old great-granddaughter and her 96-year-old great-grandma back-to-back. Here's what I tell people. It's never too early and it's never too late. It's never too early and it's never too late to jump in the ocean of God's grace. Baptism is for everybody that desires to experience God's grace. And that includes people that are very, very different from us. Galatians chapter 3, Paul puts it this way. Let's read it together. And all who have been, go ahead, a couple slides ahead. Go ahead, Galatians chapter 3, there we go. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Everybody say one. That's what baptism does. It unifies us as God's people. And because we're all here by God's grace, baptism does not discriminate based on age or gender or race or your background or the color of your skin, okay? In fact, baptism should actually create this explosion of grace in God's family. I just came up with that right now, and I have no idea what that phrase means, but it sounds really cool. An explosion of God's grace. Grace in God's family and unity. And when I say unity, I'm not talking about uniformity like we all want to be the same. I'm talking about unity, meaning despite our diversity, despite our differences, in our differences, we delight in that. One of the key ways that we're doing that is we've been developing a relationship the last couple years with a church called Elam Christian Fellowship, which is a non-denominational multicultural church uh, on the east side of Des Moines over by the Capitol. A little bit, and we've uh, been in this uh, relationship with uh, Elam and Hope uh, for a while. Pastor Hurst uh, and his wife uh, Cheryl—I think we have a picture of them up on the screen—but they have been awesome uh, friends uh, of Pastor Mike and Sally, our senior pastor, for years. I've been getting to know uh, Pastor Hurst uh, the last couple months uh, as well. We've known each other for 11 years, but here's what really sped up this. Um, this partnership is when the vision came to life for this new building like we have this 60,000 square foot facility and we know that we're moving into an ever increasing diverse neighborhood we're not going to be able to reach that neighborhood by ourselves and so over the last couple months we've had some of our staff and key leaders meet with Elam staff and key leaders as well and look at what it would look like for us to actually live out Galatians chapter 3 to break down walls, to be, to be bridge builders, as our 10 for 10 vision says. Because here's the thing, we can't talk out of one side of our mouth and say, well, baptism's for everybody. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the other side of our mouth say like, oh yeah, we're unified when Sunday morning is the most segregated time of the week in America. That just can't be the case. We can't do that. And so we've been living this relationship together. We've been getting to know each other. This is not some token relationship. I love Michael. I love Pastor Hurst. We get together every week for coffee at Smoky Row, and you know that we're there because Pastor Hurst has one volume. And when the pastors come, everybody's like, oh yeah, the pastors are here because we're talking about Jesus. And everybody in Smokey Row knows it because we're there uh, together. I, I like him, and he likes me. And I call him out on things, and he calls me out on things, and we sharpen each other wives are getting to know each other, or churches are getting to know each other. And we're just excited. We've discussed um, what does it look like to not grow Elam or not grow Hope? What does it look like to grow the kingdom? Because that's what we're about. That's the purpose of our churches and how are we better together in that. And so we've thrown around a lot of different ideas what it would look like for them to um, share some space with us eventually in the building uh, over on university all the way to what would it look like to actually merge some aspects of our ministry and our churches together uh, with them that we're really, really excited about. And so as a way for you to get more familiar with Pastor Hurst, the Elam, uh, and for Elam to get more familiar with me, uh, next weekend, Pastor Hurst is going to be here, and we are going to co-preach from this stage uh, together, and it's going to be like tag team, it's going to be like WWF with pastors. We're going to tag team in and out, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, praise God, it's going to be awesome, it's going to be great. Um, you're going to want to be here next weekend, and then the following weekend, I'm going to go to Elam and uh, discover what it's like in a Pentecostal church when a Lutheran pastor shows up. So it's going to be great, and uh, I'm going to preach with, with Michael at Elam. So um, stay tuned, like really soon, because we're going to have some exciting updates, and oh, it's going to be exciting. I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun, because here's the truth. When you actually know who you are, it changes everything personally and as a church we're not doing this as some like racial reconciliation stunt we like each other and we think we're better together and it's better for the kingdom and ultimately it's who we are we're a church of reconcilers we're a church of bridge builders there's one baptism there's not a lutheran baptism and a non-denominational baptism and a pentecostal baptism and a baptist baptism and a catholic baptism there's one baptism it's not about hope it's not about elam it's not about me it's not about pastor Hurst. it's not about pastor mike it's about jesus There's one baptism. There's one baptism, and that's what we're talking about today. We're sons and daughters. That's what we discover, and that's what a man named Tandy Gerald's discovered. He's the coach of uh, the famous Woodlawn High School football team, and a film came out uh, a couple years ago called Woodlawn. Maybe some of you saw it, but after living kind of an empty and, and numb life to Jesus for most of his life, Coach Gerald's, it was his players actually... Most of them being African-American players were completely different for him that loved him into a relationship with Jesus Christ. They broke down these barriers of race. And actually, the movie is a story of reconciliation, the one that we're living in as a church as well. We don't worship diversity. We worship God. But God loves diversity. God loves all of us just as we are, and he loves it when the body comes together and is one and what a powerful message to send to the world around us that maybe there's one place where we can come together and come under the banner of Jesus and that's what this movie is about, it's about reconciliation at the end of the film, kind of the climax is Coach Gerald's got to experience what so many people have the new life and the forgiveness that's available in the waters of baptism as you watch this last clip, know this baptism's for you baptism is for you let's take a look you can experience that today I don't know if you noticed but when he uh, said "I I don't really know what it means I don't know what I'm doing but I want what they have the pastor came down and just gave him a huge old hug God Wants to wrap you up in his arms today. And some of you feel pretty far away from him. He is not far from you. Baptism's for you. And so in just a moment, what we're gonna do, doing this at all of our Hope campuses this weekend, so it's not weird, we're not calling you out. This isn't some weird moment. This is as natural as saying, I want a fresh start. And we're gonna invite any of you, we're gonna stand and sing our final song together in just a little bit. And as we do that, During that song, I want to invite up any of you that have never been baptized before. Remember, it's never too early and it's never too late and there's no shame whatsoever. We have had people from all walks of life, every stage of life, come on up and get baptized for the very first time this weekend. Dozens and dozens and dozens of them. It's why the floor's soaked. It's why my shirt's wet, okay? And if you would like to affirm your baptism today, if you were baptized long ago, you can't remember it, If you just want a fresh start, maybe you were baptized last year and you want to affirm your baptism, you come right on up as well. But we are not going to say, I redo your baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because God doesn't mess up. Amen? God doesn't make mistakes, but he wants to give you a fresh... Start today. Baptism is for you, and I don't know what you got going on today, but this—this this is why we exist as a church. And so, as we stand and as we worship, and even after the band's done playing that final song, I would highly, highly encourage you and challenge you to stick around. Unless I—maybe you've got brunch plans. I'm just going to say this: baptism is way better than brunch. Okay, I'm just going to say that this morning, and unless you're getting married or something, I would stay. I would encourage you to stay and clap. And when somebody is baptized and comes a new life in Jesus, the reason we exist as a church is for this moment that would you stand and would you worship and would you thank God for what he's doing in these people's lives that I have the courage to come on up. That's why we exist as a church, okay? So I would encourage you to do that, okay? You're just going to come on up, You don't even have to wear a white robe. We're not going to dunk you. You can come on up as you are. We're just going to sprinkle some water over your head. We'll baptize you. You'll get a certificate. We'll anoint you with oil just a little bit on your forehead. It's going to be awesome. Don't leave here today without being able to answer the question, who are you? You are a son or daughter dearly loved by God, and we want you to experience that love this morning. So I'll invite up our ushers and our baptism assistants, everybody, to come on up. And I'm going to invite you to stand at this time, and we're going to stand and sing and worship together. And anybody that wants to come on up, we're ready for you. Come on up.